Welcome to the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated by Dr. John Owen. We will be continuing to read from page 180 for this reading. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourselves to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRB's reading of the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated, which we hope you will find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come unto the Father but by Him. John 14, verse 6. The second part of the present argument is taken from the nature of the thing itself, or the consideration of this personal and errant righteousness of our own, what it is, and wherein it does consist, and of what use it may be in our justification, and unto this purpose it may be observed, that we grant in an errant righteousness in all that we do believe, as has been before declared, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Ephesians 5.9 Being made free from sin, we become the servants of righteousness. Romans chapter 6 verse 18 And our duty it is to follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 11 and although righteousness be mostly taken for an especial grace or duty, distinct from other graces and duties, yet we acknowledge that it may be taken for the whole of our obedience before God. And the word is so used in the scripture, where our own righteousness is opposed unto the righteousness of God. And it is either actual or habitual. There is a habitual righteousness inerrant in believers as they have Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24. As they are the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. And there is an actual righteousness, consisting in those good works, whereunto we are so created. Or the fruits of righteousness, which are to the praise of God by Jesus Christ. And concerning this righteousness, it may be observed, first, that men are said in the scripture to be just or righteous by it. But, no one is said to be justified by it before God. 
Secondly, that it is not ascribed unto or found in any but those that are actually justified in order of nature antecedent thereunto. This being the constant doctrine of all the Reformed churches and divines, it is an open calumny whereby the contrary is ascribed unto them, or any of those who believe the imputation of the righteousness of Christ unto our justification before God. So, Bellarmine affirms that no Protestant writers acknowledge an inerrant righteousness, but only Bucer and Chimenitus, when there is no one of them by whom either the thing itself or the necessity of it is denied. But some excuse may be made for him, for the manner whereby they expressed themselves, wherein they always carefully distinguished between inherent holiness and that righteousness whereby we are justified. But we are now told by one, that if we should affirm it a hundred times, he could scarce believe us. This is somewhat severe, for although he speaks but to one, yet the charge falls equally upon all who maintain that imputation of the righteousness of Christ, which he denies, who being at least the generality of all Protestant divines, they are represented either as so foolish as not to know what they say, or so dishonest as to say one thing and believe another. But he endeavors to justify his censure by sundry reasons. And first, he says, quote, that inherent righteousness can on no other account be said to be ours than that by it we are made righteous. That is, that it is the condition of our justification required in the new covenant. This being denied, all inherent righteousness is denied. End quote. But how is this proved? What if one should say that every believer is inherently righteous, but yet that this inherent righteousness was not the condition of his justification, but rather the consequence of it, and that it is nowhere required in the new covenant as the condition of our justification. How shall the contrary be made to appear? The scripture plainly affirms that there is such an inherent righteousness in all that believe, and yet as plainly that they are justified before God by faith without works. Wherefore, that it is the condition of our justification, and so antecedent unto it, is expressly contrary unto that of the Apostle. Unto him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted unto him for righteousness. Romans chapter 4 verse 5 Nor is it the condition of the covenant itself, as that whereon the whole grace of the covenant is suspended. For as it is habitual, wherein the denomination of righteous is principally taken, it is a grace of the covenant itself, and so not a condition of it. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33, chapter 32 verse 39, Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 25 to 27. If no more be intended but that it is as unto its actual exercise, what is indispensably required of all that are taken into covenant, in order unto the complete ends of it, we are agreed. But hence, it will not follow that it is the condition of our justification. It is added, quote, that all righteousness respects a law and a rule by which it is to be tried. And he is righteous 
who has done these things which that the law requires, by whose rule he is to be judged, end quote. But, first, this is not the way whereby the scripture expresses our justification before God, which alone is under consideration, namely, that we bring unto it a personal righteousness of our own, answering the law whereby we are to be judged. Yea, an assertion to this purpose is foreign to the gospel and destructive of the grace of God by Jesus Christ. Secondly, it is granted that all righteousness respects a law as the rule of it, and so does this wherefore we speak, namely, the moral law, which being the sole eternal unchangeable rule of righteousness, if it does not in the substance of it answer thereunto a righteousness, it is not. But this it does, inasmuch as that, so far as it is habitual, it consists in the renovation of the image of God, wherein that law is written on our hearts, and all the actual duties of it are, as to the substance of them, what is required by that law. But, as unto the manner of its communication unto us, and of its performance by us, from faith in God by Jesus Christ, and love unto Him, as the author and fountain of all the grace and mercy procured and administered by Him, it has respect unto the gospel. What will follow from hence? Why, that He is just, that does those things which that the law requires whereby he is to be judged. He is so certainly, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Romans chapter 2 verse 13. So Moses describeth the righteousness of the law, that the man which does those things shall live by them. Romans chapter 10 verse 5. But, Although the righteousness whereof we discourse be required by the law, as certainly it is, for it is nothing but the law in our hearts, from whence we walk in the ways and keep the statutes or commandments of God, yet does it not so answer the law as that any man can be justified by it. But then it will be said that if it does not answer that law and rule whereby we are to be judged, then it is no righteousness. For... All righteousness must answer the law whereby it is required. And I say, it is most true, it is no perfect righteousness. It does not so answer the rule and law as that we can be justified by it or safely judged on it. But, so far as it does answer the law, it is a righteousness. That is, imperfectly so, and therefore it is an imperfect righteousness which yet gives the denomination of righteousness unto them that have it, both absolutely and comparatively. It is said, therefore, that it is the law of grace, or the gospel from whence we are denominated righteous with this righteousness. But that we are by the gospel denominated righteous from any righteousness that is not required by the moral law will not be proved. Nor does the law of grace or the gospel anywhere require of us or prescribe unto us this righteousness, as that whereon we are to be justified before God. It requires faith in Christ Jesus, or the receiving of Him as He is proposed in the promises of it, in all that are to be justified. It requires, in like manner, repentance from dead works in all that believe, 
as also the fruits of faith, conversion unto God, and repentance, and the works of righteousness, which are to the praise of God by Jesus Christ, with perseverance therein unto the end. And all this may, if you please, be called our evangelical righteousness, as being our obedience unto God, according to the gospel. But yet, the graces and duties whereon it does consist do no more perfectly answer the commands of the gospel than they do those of the moral law. For that the gospel abates from the holiness of the law, it makes that to be no sin which is sin by the law, or approves absolutely of less intention or lower degrees in the love of God than the law does is an impious imagination. And that the gospel requires all these things entirely and equally as the condition of our justification before God and so antecedently thereunto is not yet proved, nor ever will be. It is hence concluded that, quote, this is our righteousness, according unto the evangelical law which requires it. By this we are made righteous, that is, not guilty of the non-performance of the condition required in that law, end quote. And these things are said to be very plain. So, no doubt, they seemed unto the author. Unto us they are intricate and perplexed. However, I wholly deny that our faith, obedience, and righteousness, considered as ours, as wrought by us, although they are all accepted with God through Jesus Christ, according to the grace declared in the gospel, do perfectly answer the commands of the gospel, requiring them of us, as to matter, manner, and degree, and assert that, therefore, it is utterly impossible that they should be the cause or condition of our justification before God. Yet, in the explanation of these things, it is added by the same author that, quote, Our maimed and imperfect righteousness is accepted unto salvation as if it were every way absolute and perfect. For so it should be. Christ has merited by his most perfect righteousness. End quote. But it is justification and not salvation that alone we discourse about, and that the works of obedience or righteousness have another respect unto salvation than they have unto justification, is too plainly and too often expressed in the scripture to be modestly denied. And if this weak and imperfect righteousness of ours be esteemed and accepted as every way perfect before God, then either it is because God judges it to be perfect, and so declares us to be most just, and justified thereon in his sight. Or, he judges it not to be complete and perfect, yet declares us to be perfectly righteous in his sight thereby. And neither of these, I suppose, can well be granted. It will therefore be said, it is neither of them, but, quote, Christ has obtained by his complete and most perfect righteousness and obedience that this lame and imperfect righteousness of ours should be accepted as every way perfect. End quote. And if it be so, it may be some will think it best not to go about by this weak, halt, and imperfect righteousness, but as unto their justification, 
retake themselves immediately unto the most perfect righteousness of Christ, which I am sure the Scripture encourages them unto, and they will be ready to think that the righteousness which cannot justify itself, but must be obliged unto grace and pardon through the merits of Christ, will never be able to justify them. But what will ensue on this explanation of the acceptance of our imperfect righteousness unto justification upon the merit of Christ? This only, so far as I can discern, that Christ has merited and procured either that God should judge that to be perfect, which is imperfect, and declare us perfectly righteous when we are not so, or that He should judge the righteousness still to be imperfect, as it is, but declare us to be perfectly righteous with and by this imperfect righteousness. These are the plain paths that men walk and who cannot deny but that there is a righteousness required unto our justification, or that we may be declared righteous before God in the sight of God according unto the judgment of God, yet denying the imputation of the righteousness of Christ unto us will allow us no other righteousness unto this end, but that which is so weak and imperfect and that no man can justify it in his own conscience, nor without a frenzy of pride can think or imagine himself perfectly righteous thereby. And whereas it is added that, quote, he is blind who sees not that this righteousness of ours is subordinate unto the righteousness of Christ, end quote. I must acknowledge myself otherwise minded, notwithstanding the severity of this censure. It seems to me that the righteousness of Christ is subordinate unto this righteousness of our own, as here it is stated, and not the contrary. For the end of all is our acceptance with God as righteous. But according unto these thoughts, it is our own righteousness whereon we are immediately accepted with God as righteous. Only Christ has deserved by His righteousness that our righteousness may be so accepted, and is therefore as unto the end of our justification before God subordinate thereunto. But to return from this digression and to proceed unto our argument. This personal inherent righteousness, which according to the scripture we allow in believers, is not that whereby or wherewith we are justified before God. For it is not perfect, nor perfectly answers any rule of obedience that is given unto us. And so cannot be our righteousness before God unto our justification. Wherefore, we must be justified by the righteousness of Christ imputed unto us, or be justified without respect unto any righteousness, or not be justified at all. And a threefold imperfection does accompany it. Number one, as to the principle of it, as it is habitually resonant in us. For, parenthesis number one, there is a contrary principle of sin abiding with and in the same subject, whilst we are in this world. For contrary qualities may be in the same subject, whilst neither of them is in the highest degree. So it is in this case, Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. 
Parentheses number two. None of the faculties of our souls are perfectly renewed whilst we are in this world. The inward man is renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. And we are always to be purging our souls from all pollution of the flesh and spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. And hereunto belongs whatever is spoken in the scripture, whatever believers find in themselves by experience of the remainders of indwelling sin and the darkness of our minds. Whence, at best, we know but in part, and through ignorance are ready to wander out of the way. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 2. In the deceitfulness of the heart and disorder of affections. I understand not how anyone can think of pleading his own righteousness in the sight of God, or suppose that he can be justified by it upon this single account of the imperfection of its inerrant habit or principle. Such notions arise from the ignorance of God and ourselves, or the want of a due consideration of the one and the other. Neither can I apprehend how a thousand distinctions can safely introduce it into any consideration in our justification before God. He that can search in any measure by a spiritual light into his own heart and soul will find, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, a better plea than any he can be furnished with all from any worth of his own. What is man that he should be clean? And he that is born of a woman that he should be righteous? Job chapter 15 verse 14 to 16. Chapter 4 verse 18 and 19. Hence says Gregory in Job chapter 9. Non-English words. A man cannot be justified in any sense by that righteousness which, upon trial, will appear rather to be an unrighteousness. Number two, it is imperfect with respect unto every act and duty of it, whether internal or external. There is iniquity cleaving unto our holy things, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6. It has been often and well observed that if a man, the best of men, were left to choose the best of his works that ever he performed, and thereon to enter into judgment with God, if only under this notion that he has answered and fulfilled the condition required of him as unto his acceptation with God, it would be his wisest course, at least it would be so in the judgment of Bellarmine, to renounce it, and retake himself unto grace and mercy alone. Number three, it is imperfect by reason of the incursion of actual sins. Hence, our Savior has taught us continually to pray for the forgiveness of our sins. And, if we say that we have no sins, we deceive ourselves, for in many things we offend all. And what confidence can be placed in this righteousness, which those who plead for it in this cause acknowledge to be weak, maimed, and imperfect. I have but touched on these things, which might have been handled at large, and are indeed of great consideration in our present argument. But enough has been spoken to manifest that, although this righteousness of believers be on other accounts like the fruit of the vine, that glads the heart of God and man, yet... As unto our justification before God, 
It is like the wood of the vine. A pin is not to be taken from it to hang any weight of this cause upon. Two things are pleaded in the behalf of this righteousness and its influence into our justification. Number one, that it is absolutely complete and perfect. Hence, some say that they are perfect and sinless in this life. They have no more concern in the mortification of sin, nor of growth in grace. And indeed, this is the only rational pretense of ascribing our justification before God thereunto. For were it so with any, what should hinder him from being justified thereon before God, but only that he has been a sinner, which spoils the whole market? But... This vain imagination is so contrary unto the scripture and the experience of all that know the terror of the Lord and what it is to walk humbly before him as that I shall not insist on the refutation of it. Number two, it is pleaded that although this righteousness be not an exact fulfilling of the moral law, yet is it the accomplishment of the condition of the new covenant, or entirely answers the law of grace and all that is required of us therein. Answer. Parentheses number one. This wholly takes away sin and the pardon of it, no less than does the conceit of sinless perfection, which we now rejected. For if our obedience does answer the only law and rule of it whereby it is to be tried, measured, and judged, then there is no sin in us, nor need of pardon. No more is required of any man to keep him absolutely free from sin, but that he fully answer and exactly comply with the rule and law of his obedience whereby he must be judged. On this supposition, therefore, there is neither sin nor any need of the pardon of it. To say that there is still both sin and need of pardon with respect unto the moral law of God is to confess that law to be the rule of our obedience, which this righteousness does no way answer, and therefore none by it can be justified in the sight of God. Parentheses number two. Although this righteousness be accepted in justified persons by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, yet consider the principle of it, with all the acts and duties wherein it does consist, as they are required and prescribed in the gospel unto us, and they do neither jointly nor severally fulfill and answer the commands of the gospel, no more than they do the commands of the law. Wherefore, they cannot, all of them, constitute a righteousness consisting in an exact conformity unto the rules of the gospel or the law of it, for it is impious to imagine that the gospel requiring any duty of us, suppose the love of God, does make an abatement as unto the matter, manner, or degrees of perfection in it, from what was required by the law. Does the gospel require a lower degree of love to God, a less perfect love, than the law did? God forbid! The same may be said concerning the inward frame of our natures, and all our duties, whatever. Wherefore, although this righteousness is accepted in justified persons, as God had respect unto Abel, and then unto his offering, in the way and unto the ends that shall be afterwards declared, yet 
as it relates unto the commands of the gospel, both it and all the duties of it are no less imperfect than it would be if it should be left unto its trial by the law of creation only. Parenthesis number three. I know not what some men intend. On the one hand, they affirm that our Lord Jesus Christ has enlarged and heightened the spiritual sense of the moral law, and not only so, but added unto it new precepts of more exact obedience than it did require. But, on the other, they would have him to have brought down or taken off the obligation of the law, so as that a man, according as he has adapted it unto the use of the gospel, shall be judged of God to have fulfilled the whole obedience which it requires, who never answered any one precept of it according unto its original sense and obligation. For so it must be if this imperfect righteousness be on any account esteemed a fulfilling of the rule of our obedience, as that thereon we should be justified in the sight of God. Parenthesis number four. This opinion puts an irreconcilable difference between the law and the gospel, not to be composed by any distinctions. For, according unto it, God declares by the gospel a man to be perfectly righteous, justified and blessed, upon the consideration of a righteousness that is imperfect. And in the law, he pronounces everyone accursed who continues not in all the things required by it, and as they are therein required. But it is said that this righteousness is no otherwise to be considered, but as the condition of the new covenant, whereon we obtain remission of sins on the sole account of the satisfaction of Christ, wherein our justification does consist. Answer parentheses number one. Some, indeed, do say so, but not all, not the most, not the most learned, with whom in this controversy we have to do. And in our pleas for what we believe to be the truth, we cannot always have respect unto every private opinion wherein it is opposed. Parenthesis number two. That justification consists only in the pardon of sin is so contrary to the signification of the word, the constant use of it in the scripture, the common notion of it amongst mankind, the sense of men in their own consciences who find themselves under an obligation unto duty and express testimonies of the scripture, as that I somewhat wonder how it can be pretended. But it shall be spoken of unto elsewhere. Parenthesis number three. If this righteousness be the fulfilling of the condition of the new covenant whereon we are justified, it must be in itself such as exactly answers some rule or law of righteousness, and so be perfect, which it does not, and therefore cannot bear the place of a righteousness in our justification. Parenthesis number four. That this righteousness is the condition of our justification before God, or of that interest in the righteousness of Christ whereby we are justified is not proved, nor ever will be. I shall briefly add two or three considerations excluding this personal righteousness from its pretended interest in our justification and close this argument. Number one, that righteousness which neither answers the law of God nor the end of God in our justification by the gospel is not that whereon we are justified. But such is this an errant righteousness of believers, even the best of them. Parenthesis number one. 
that it answers not the law of God has been proved from its imperfection. Nor will any sober person pretend that it exactly and perfectly fulfill the law of our creation. And this law cannot be disannulled, whilst the relation of creator and rewarder, on the one hand, and of creatures capable of obedience and rewards, on the other, between God and us, does continue. Wherefore, that which answers not this law will not justify us, for God will not abrogate that law, that the transgressors of it may be justified. Do we, says the Apostle, by the doctrine of justification, by faith without works, make void the law? God forbid, yea, we establish it. Romans chapter 3, verse 31. Parentheses number 2. That we should be justified with respect unto it answers not the end of God in our justification by the gospel. For this is to take away all glorying in ourselves and all occasion of it, everything that might give countenance unto it, so as that the whole might be to the praise of his own grace by Christ. Romans chapter 3 verse 27, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 29 to 31. How it is faith alone that gives glory to God herein has been declared in the description of its nature. But it is evident that no man has or can possibly have any other, any greater occasion of boasting in himself with respect unto his justification than that he is justified on his performance of that condition of it, which consists in his own personal righteousness. Number two. No man was ever justified by it in his own conscience, much less can he be justified by it in the sight of God. For God is greater than our hearts, and knoweth all things. There is no man so righteous, so holy in the whole world, nor ever was, but his own conscience would charge him in many things, with his coming short of the obedience required of him, in matter or manner, in the kind or degrees of perfection. For there is no man that lives and sins not. Absolutely. Non-English words. Let any man be put unto trial in himself, whether he can be justified in his own conscience, by his own righteousness, and he will be cast in the trial of his own judgment seat. And he that does not thereon conclude that there must be another righteousness wherein he must be justified, that originally and inherently is not his own, will be at a loss for peace with God. But it will be said that men may be justified in their consciences that they have performed the condition of the new covenant, which is all that is pleaded with respect unto this righteousness. And I no way doubt that men may have a comfortable persuasion of their own security in obedience and satisfaction and the acceptance of it with God. But it is when they try it as an effect of faith, whereby they are justified and not as the condition of their justification. Let it be thus stated in their minds that God requires a personal righteousness in order unto their justification, whereon their determination must be this is my righteousness which I present unto God, that I may be justified. And they will find difficulty in arriving at it, if I be not much mistaken. Number three. None of the holy men of God, whose faith and experience are recorded in the scripture, did 
ever plead their own personal righteousness under any notion of it, either as to the merit of their works or as unto their complete performance of what was required of them as the condition of the covenant, in order unto their justification before God. This has been spoken unto before. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more, at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, AB, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list. So once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc., that SWRB makes available on the web, as well as, at times, to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way, and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you.